Yay! You made it to another episode of the Weekend Hustle podcast. My name is Shelby Oleschlager, and I'll be your host as we dive into barrel racers, athletes, and just people of the world to share, motivate, and inspire us all to be the best that we can be. Together, we can hustle. Today, we have on the podcast a really exciting guest that I'm really excited to dive in with and talk about her profession. So Shelby is here with me, and it's kind of ironic to Shelby's again. <laughs> I had Shelby McKamey and then another Shelby, so we're just all getting connected here. Welcome to the podcast, Shelby, and please, just for the listeners that don't know who you are yet, give us some insight to the work that you do. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I also know Shelby McKamey, love her and love yellow felt soul. So I think the triad of us Shelby's could be really something special. Um, I am a therapist. I currently live in Auburn, Alabama. I specialize in trauma and just belief systems that are impeding to our present day life. So belief systems that maybe developed um, at earlier points in life mm-hmm. or trauma that we endured and then helping, giving my clients relief in the present wow. um, and giving them a level of emotional freedom. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It could be such a transformation that I'm sure you're taking these people on that. It's a transformation that you really do need that professional help, I think, and trying to do it on your own. Like I've been that self learner, trying self taught trial and error, trying to figure it out. Like you're dipping your toes into maybe getting Mm -hmm. a a consultant and stuff. Like what would the things that you'd recommend for a beginner, maybe how they could almost start this journey now, either before meeting with someone like you or after. Yeah. So, I mean, I love a good self-help book. I think there's a lot of value there, Um, but there is also a lot of value in meeting with a trained professional. A licensed therapist Mm -hmm. is going to give you a safe place Mm -hmm. to process through maybe some things that you don't really want to get out of the like storage box in your mind that maybe is buried or compartmentalized. Mm And a a trained therapist is going to co-regulate with you. So essentially their nervous system is going, if you're a good fit, assuming you're a good fit, um, is going to give you cues of security and safety to just gently nurture you through that process and urge you Mm -hmm. to push forward when you need to, and maybe Mm -hmm. to take a break when you need to, and just give that uh, third or outside non-judgmental perspective. Right. And also I can think like if you were, let's say in a family, I just thought of just that safe place to really express yourself and to let those things out that you're almost probably scared of even expressing to yourself anyways, but trying to say it to someone else, maybe like a family member, especially because I know you deal with quite a lot of trauma cases. And for those people, I can imagine if they're trying to take that baggage out and to live a better life. like that's the goal is that they're going to understand themselves, understand where all these things are coming from. Like if you were to get someone in with the trauma stuff, what are the things that you've noticed that a lot of people do subconsciously that are affecting their lives in a negative way? So I think a lot of times we gravitate towards what's familiar, Mm -hmm. even if we have consciously identified it as unhealthy, we're still going to move towards it. If it's familiar, um, as 
a therapist that sees a therapist, because I'm a big advocate for therapists seeing therapists, I think that's really important that we understand the vulnerability firsthand that our client is experiencing, um, that emotional vulnerability that when they come in and they sit on our couch or in our chair or whatever and start talking to us, I think it's really imperative that we understand what that experience is like. Because a lot of times our clients, they know they want to talk about something, but maybe they don't know how. They don't know how to start. They don't know what words to use. And so a, a therapist gently nudging that process can be super helpful. Um, but I do see people repeating patterns, mm-hmm. even though they've consciously said, I don't want to be like my mom or I don't want to be like my dad. I'm never going to yell at my kids, you know, before they know it, they're like, I'm going to give you a spanking or threatening <laughs> their child. And they're like, wait, what am I doing? I told myself when I was eight years old, I was never going to be like my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because we recognize something as unhealthy, does it mean we have maybe the the awareness or the skills Mm -hmm. to implement something new. So I really harp with my clients that if you say you're not going to do something, it's really important to say what you're going to do instead. So if I'm not going to spank my kids, I am going to um, talk through whatever trouble they get, they got in, or if I'm not going to drink diet Coke, well, you're not just going to like, stop drinking fluid altogether, you're going to start drinking water maybe. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we focus on the negative of what we don't want to do. Like I don't want to hit the first barrel where it would be more advantageous for us to say, I'm going to, you know, ride to my spot or I'm going to get my pocket or whatever language you're using. Yes. Okay. That's awesome. Cause I was totally going to relate this back to barrel racing. Cause like yeah. everything I do, like, or everything I think about, I'm like, how does this apply to barrel racing? And I literally, when you said that we just read a book about mindset and performance and it said, yeah, like you can't just stop thinking something. One thing I just thought of when you said about the familiar thing, uh, I used to have a really bad self-sabotage streak and I'm yeah. sure we could touch about that. Cause it was Honestly, like that was probably the one of the biggest obstacles I think I've had to overcome and understanding the underlying issues there. So I'm just curious, like if you've had any kind of cases like that, where just a lot of self-sabotage, they show up to the race, they don't feel ready. They're judging others. Like what are the things like that we could do to stop kind of acting in that behavior that we're really just setting ourselves up for failure before we even enter the arena? Yeah, I think it's really important to change our mindset to ourselves, right? And focus on what we're doing, what we can do, what we want to do. Um, A lot of times when we are criticizing somebody else, that is a form of, or judging somebody else, that's a form of projection. Maybe that's our own insecurity that we're putting onto somebody else um, and saying, okay, if I criticize them, maybe people won't notice my insecurities. If the focus is on them, if I'm gossiping about that person over there, then maybe they won't notice that I'm not skilled in this other area. And I also think of like, if when you think like that as well, even if you try and trick yourself to not think like that, like I think for myself, I always would tell myself, okay, be happy for the people. Don't talk about them, but maybe deep down inside, I could still hear the voice that was saying the negative things and it was still affecting me in that way. And for my own personal say, I think a lot of the things I've done to overcome that 
have been really transformative in my own life and just understanding my own thought process. So do you think a lot of the counseling that you're doing, is it, is it understanding the people and how they're triggered or is it more just really learning about how they think and learning just about themselves and why they act the way they act? It's both. I I really think it's both. It's a two prong approach of first, you have to have that level of mindfulness or insight to recognize, okay, I am having that thought. Mm -hmm. And then almost being an emotional scientist of digging in with curiosity, not judgment of saying, okay, where is this thought coming from? And then once you understand, maybe saying, okay, what could be more adaptive? What is more helpful? Mm -hmm. So um, a big theory in therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy. If you simplify it, it essentially says the way you think will determine how you feel. And then the way that you think and feel will determine how you behave. So if you change your thought, then your emotion will naturally change and your behavior will change as well. So if I'm going to a barrel race and the whole way there, I'm thinking I'm out of my league. I don't belong. I'm probably going to feel pretty insecure. Mm -hmm. And then when I get there, I may engage in some self-sabotaging behaviors, whether I'm criticizing other people or I'm not uh, not focusing on what I need to focus on or preparing my horse accordingly, right? So in CBT, a a CBT therapist would say, well, what's a more adaptive thought? Uh, Maybe like I'm prepared or I belong here. And then maybe you may feel confident or even neutral Mm -hmm. and you can get to the barrel race. And then the behavior would be more adaptive. It would be more helpful. I'm going to focus on what I need to do. I'm going to go through my regular routine, so on and so forth. So I do think there's a level of mindfulness of we have to recognize the thought. Uh, A lot of times people that are pretty anxious and insecure they are pretty, what I would call mindless is their mind is going wherever it wants to go. And it's bouncing around typically pretty rapidly. And they're not even aware of those thoughts and where those thoughts are taking them to the emotions that um, are being motivated from those negative thought processes. Right. That makes so much sense. And I remember reading that word. Yeah. Like what you just said, the thoughts, then basically changes your actions and then your actions can change your life for the better and so on and so forth. One thing I was thinking though, um, when you're trying to change your thoughts or what you're saying, do you find some people take a long time to start to almost trust themselves? If maybe they came from a place of lack of trust or just not believing anything they say, like, what would you say in a case like that? If it takes like a long time, they're saying I'm prepared, I'm prepared, but maybe they're still second guessing themselves after rehearsing all that. I think it's going to be different with an individual that has a secure attachment. Maybe they grew up in a supportive family that gave them positive messages, but maybe they just had a few experiences where they felt less than or incompetent or that there were better people at that rodeo than them, right? That is somebody that can most likely 
practice level uh, levels of self-talk and maybe even mirror work and positive journaling and things like that and be pretty successful. It's going to stick. It's going to resonate with them. They're not only going to think it, but they will believe it as well. Somebody who has a traumatic past, maybe a more insecure attachment style to their primary caregiver is probably um, going to be able to think that. They're going to think the positive thoughts. They're going to practice it, but there's typically an incongruency between their mind and their body. They may know something. They may know I belong here. Or I'm good enough, or I can do this, or um, my horse is fast enough or whatever it is, but they may not feel it's true. So they're constantly saying it and repeating it and practicing it, but it never feels quite true. And this could happen for years. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I think professional help is really needed because at that point you're talking talking about memories and earlier experiences in life that are stored in the body on a more neurobiological level. They're actually stored in your autonomic nervous system. And so a a trained therapist, specifically a trauma therapist, is going to have interventions to help you go back and digest that information in a more adaptive format. Right, right. One thing you said that just made me think of just saying how our body doesn't actually feel it like we and I think like, I don't know your opinion, if it's just like mind body, but how much they're actually related and how much how we think demonstrates and shows in our actual physical being. So can we touch on that a bit more? Yes, I think that is such a great topic to bring up. Um, So our body gives our mind or our brain so much information. So our sympathetic nervous system is made up of nerves that are running throughout our whole body. That is like, let's say our body's surveillance system. And we're getting a lot of information from the world around us subconsciously. And that information is being sent to our brain. But I think, especially in American culture, I see Um, you know, a lot of memes or messages uh, that are like, what is it? Mind over matter and things like that, like push through, um, you can achieve more like than your body thinks you can stuff like that. But, and I get the place, like, I get how that has its place in athletics. Um, but I think a lot of times that teaches us not to listen to our body. And a lot of times our body gives us really valuable information that we're not attuned to. Um, A lot of times trauma can show up in the body as physical pain or chronic elements that really have no other reasoning or just um, traditional medicine can't understand. Yeah, that's so cool. And like, I love doing yoga and I think I don't know if there's other, I'm sure there's other practices that you could suggest for people to do, but is there anything other than really, I guess, being like more mindful or trying to be more mindful, what could we do to try and bridge that gap between what we think and feel and how we can like connect it where we actually are listening more to our bodies and learning from it? I think yoga is a wonderful practice. It's an evidence-based approach um, to help treating the somatic symptoms of trauma. Um, I think it's really intentionality. Um, Clients of mine that didn't ride, and I would talk about mindfulness and I would give them like, you know, a textbook, like fluffy, duffy, hippie term. And they're like, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) 
And then there was this one specific client. She was like trying to develop some hobbies and we were just going through her treatment plan. Anyways, I was like, she wanted a horseback ride. And I was like, okay, well, you're in luck. I have some connections. I can hook you up. And she goes, now I know what you're talking about when you talk about mindfulness, because my instructor will be like, okay, where's your leg? Where's your hand? Sit up straight, tuck your hips. And she's like, that is mindfulness of, I have to know and be aware of my body when I'm riding. And I think a lot of times we go through life with such little awareness of what we're actually doing with our body, because it's just so automatic. Exactly. So true. And like when I give clinics and stuff, it's literally all about our own body and how we're affecting the horses to like the whole nother level. But yeah, it's so much of being aware, like just like in a confident sense for myself thinking like if I'm all hunched over and stuff, I just feel small and little where I literally will do like the big poses to be like, big take up space because that's something that I've always struggled with in like a room of people. Like I just always feel a bit smaller and that's just probably just who I am or maybe it's trauma-based. Maybe we'll have to talk about this. (laughs) But yeah, like just the power of changing our, even like our posture or being aware of it and under, and like, it makes our brain think, I guess. And then once we're doing that, we're actually understanding our thoughts and they're not just kind of going on autopilot. Yeah, I think being on autopilot and functioning from that mindless place, it can be pretty dangerous, especially if we have the propensity to have more negative thoughts or belief systems, right? Because before you know it, you are you're brushing your teeth and you're thinking about I'm a piece of crap and I didn't win this rodeo or I should have done this and da 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 da. And a more mindful approach would be focusing on just brushing your teeth and noticing the smells or the taste, um, the sound, everything like that. And so that's the value in mindfulness and not just when you're riding, but in your day-to-day life is because that autumn, those automatic patterns can be pretty dangerous if we have a propensity for anxiety, insecurities, negative thought processes. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I can see how just, and and it, like you said, it's not like you have to go on a yoga mat to do the practice or to go and be in a meditation pose to think about being mindful. Like you said, like something as simple as brushing your teeth, be aware of what you're actually doing and catch yourself if you're thinking about all those things. The one thing you said that I want to go back to is just you yeah. said how you're brushing your teeth and all of a sudden your brain goes to a past event that happened that wasn't ideal for you. You screwed up, you missed your cow, you (laughs) hit a barrel or something. It was a disaster. You feel horrible about it. How does one overcome those type of things? Cause as barrel racers or athletes and just everybody, Mm -hmm. we've all had those setbacks or those cringy moments, I guess that we don't really like, but they stick in our heads and they just eat us alive basically like, you know, like handle that. Yeah. So I think step one is recognizing that I'm ruminating over a past event. Mm -hmm. And then you have to decipher, okay, do I have time to work through this a process through it? Or do I have a meeting in five minutes and maybe I'm going to have to compartmentalize this and come back to it. Mm -hmm. So I think we recognize um, and then make that decision of, okay, do I have time to maybe like sit and have a cup of coffee and just like think through this or maybe journal about it or use one of my coping skills or do I need to compartmentalize this and remind myself that I'm going to come back to it later this evening. Mm -hmm. And then once, say you do have time to work through that. I think it's really important to notice the inner self-critic, what that self-critic is saying and ask yourself, would I talk to a friend that way? Mm -hmm. 
talk to a colleague like that. Yeah. And so if the answer is no, there's pretty, there's really not a lot of value in talking to yourself like that. It's important to understand that that self-critic is there to protect us. The self-critic, that internal voice has an intention of to protect us from getting hurt again, from failing, from messing up, from missing that calf, from hitting the barrel. But typically it's not very helpful because it keeps us stuck on the negative. It keeps us fixated on the failure and not trying again. So for that internal self-critic, it's saying don't try because if you don't try, then you can't fail Hmm. or don't do that again. Like don't drop your elbow in the calf open and then, you know, it, it's there to say, okay, don't do this. But again, just like we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, the focus is on the negative. And so that's where you're ruminating or what you're ruminating on is the negative. Mm-hmm. And so I think a really great intervention is to focus on what you need to do differently and saying, okay, well, if I don't want to drop my elbow, what do I need to do? I hear parents screaming at their kids at junior rodeos frequently of telling them not, you know, what not to do. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what they're thinking about now. That's not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you're trying your best. You're, you want obviously your kid to do well. And it's just that knowledge and understanding of how our brains actually work and uh, using that to our advantage, like you're saying. And I love what you're doing. Like, I think it's such a cool profession and getting all the different people in that you're able to understand a little bit more on a deeper level and help them on the other side. One thing I noticed tons of barrel racers in particular always struggle with that I'm sure you're going to have some good insight for us is dealing with anxiety before a run. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, I would assume probably the most biggest thing that people deal with. I always, I don't always, but it's something that, you know, you constantly are struggling with to be more calm and present in the moment. So what are some uh, tips and advice you could give all of us for the pre-run nerves? So I think just basic mindfulness, grounding yourself in the present, right? So what we're, I'm trying, trying to tie all of this together. Um, if we feel like we have those negative thoughts, we're ruminating, maybe like say it's the day of the barrel race, maybe we're in the warm-up pen and we're thinking about like two weekends ago when we just like smashed the second and how bad my knee still kind of hurts or whatever. Um, and you have that rec- recognition of, okay, I'm thinking about something that's already happened. That's not helpful to me right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to compartmentalize that. I don't need to work through that right now. That It's not the time. I'm going to compartmentalize that and let me ground myself in the present. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I physically feel? What can I smell? Is there anything that I taste? So working through your five senses to ground yourself in the present, grounding yourself in the here and now, that's going to take your focus away from the future, Mm -hmm. uh, the fear-based, what is next, or the rumination of past things that haven't been so helpful. And it's just focusing on what's here right now. And so an exercise that I will encourage my clients to use is just, like I said, grounding themselves through their five senses. So it's five things that I see, four things that I feel, like physically touch, um, maybe three things that I hear, two things that I smell and something that I taste. So maybe um, I see the 
other people in the warm-up arena. I see my reins. I see my saddle. I see da, 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 da. And then four things that I feel, I feel my feet in the stirrups. I feel my hips square on my, in my saddle. Um, I feel my hands on the reins and then working through those. What do I hear? I hear the announcer in the background. I hear my horse's feet hitting the ground, whatever that may be. And then even, I mean, how often do we ask ourselves, what do I smell? It's so true. I, I typically don't pause and ask that and then label it and actually take the time to slow down and label it. So what's happening through that whole exercise is you're focusing on the present, you're being mindful and you're slowing your brain down just a little bit. So cool. And I just even thinking of doing that right now, I can already think about kind of like looking out into space, being like, what do I feel right now? And instead of looking at everything around me and the barrel run I'm going to go do, it's like, oh, hold on. Like this isn't as big of a deal. Like I'm just sitting here feeling my feet. It's okay. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm just curious, like more of your actual profession. How did you get into dealing with more of the horseback rider in the Western industry? Yeah. So I grew up in the suburbs of Indianapolis, Indiana, and, um, I still haven't decided if my parents were really generous and kind or naive. I'm going to go, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're really generous and kind. And like most little girls, I wanted a pony. Um, and they got me one. (laughs) So that pony turned into horses, like bigger horses, junior rodeo, high school rodeo. I was pretty successful in, and then I went to on to college rodeo at Troy university in Alabama and just loved it. Um, after that, I amateur rodeoed for a good bit. I still amateur rodeo some and team rope with my husband, just not as much just because, well, my parents aren't footing the bill anymore. And uh, <laughs> there's other adult responsibilities that I have that impede on the level of practice that I'm able to participate in today. Mm-hmm. So I think I really want, and then being in rodeo the majority of my life, I saw the need for mental health. I think a lot of people and even my family and friends included had that old John Wayne mentality of like, toughen up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get over it. Um, And in all fairness, if that was working, I wouldn't be in business, but business is thriving. So I'll just put it that way to the listeners. Um, And so that whole like toughen up mentality, I get it. I, I get that in some instances it has value, but typically it doesn't and it hasn't worked. And that's why I think the United States specifically, and I think Canada as well, from what I've heard, is really moving in a direction where we're prioritizing mental health and we see the value there. Yeah, totally. Totally do. And like you said, it's like, it's so much more complex and it's not as easy as just saying to toughen up and get over it. Cause I think when that happens, you have so many hidden things about yourself that you can't help, but be more reactive or whatever negative way that you respond into the world and how you talk to yourself and others where I think the, our brain needs a user manual. And yeah. <laughs> that's what for. Well, and it's like, people will be like, Oh, just let it go. You got to move on to the next one. Yeah. And it's like, Oh no shit. I should have let it go. Well, duh. Why didn't I think of yeah. that? <laughs> what a novel idea. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, if it was that easy, I would have already done it. So sometimes when we're looping or ruminating, we need some help and we need some more viable techniques Mm -hmm. to help ourselves process through. A lot of times, I think in the Western culture is we're just like, just keep moving. Don't pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work that way. Um, a lot of my male clients that don't want to get in touch with their emotions or they want to avoid them, or maybe they're even willing to get in touch with them, but they don't know how to, they've never been taught mm-hmm. is what I'll tell them. I'm like, emotions are like going to the bathroom, whether you want to or not, you it's going to happen. Right. And so we don't want to always go to the bathroom, but it's just a part of our digestive system. The same with our emotions. We're taking in information all day and we have emotions based on those experiences. It's our information processing system. It just happens whether we want to or not. And if you think about denying yourself going to the bathroom, you didn't, you're denying yourself of that last phase of the digestive system, you're probably going to have a lot of physical problems that manifest from not allowing yourself to go to the bathroom, right? So you could, it could be constipation or uh, UTIs or kidney infections, and, and it could grow substantially if you continued to deny yourself of defecating or urinating really. And the same with emotions. If you don't allow yourself to feel it's going to manifest in a really negative way and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't care how long and how hard you try to like not pay attention to it. It's going to come out, whether you are drunken after a rodeo and have an episode or, um, it, it maybe even physically, maybe you'll have some chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to show you one way or another. And the one thing you said, just as coping, cause I know that's something that you work a lot on is just like the um, so coping in yourself understanding and with being busy, I can see that being a coping mechanism. And especially our, in our industry, I think people are just running with their heads cut off and they probably almost prefer it that way because it means that they're not actually being aware of what's going on internally. And I think, like you just said, kind of slowing down and really learning more about that and how understanding those coping mechanisms so they don't become a big thing that you, I guess, can't control anymore. Definitely. I think that our culture really rewards burnout as a sign of success, right? Like if you're just completely exhausted and you're doing this and this and this, like, I think that can be seen by some people as successful, Mm -hmm. but it's really not. I mean, that's not true joy and happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's such a big point. I think is slowly starting to change a little bit of understanding. Like it's not about the money in the bank, but like your level of happiness is kind of the true um, needle for where, like where you actually are being successful in life and yeah, happiness definitely number one. So yeah, that's so awesome. Um, is there anything that pieces of advice that you'd give everybody listening that you think we'd all benefit from? 
I think slowing down and asking yourself, like say you're practicing in the Western industry, rodeo, barrel racing specifically, whether you're coaching or you're asking yourself, what did I do and what do I need to do differently? And then, you know, following it up with that focus. So a lot of times, like we talked about earlier, I'll hear parents say, don't do this or, you know, make... Uh, get your horse past the the second barrel, but okay, well, what does the child need to do to do that? So focusing on what we can do and asking people, like if we're coaching saying, okay, what do I think I did well? Or what do you think you did? Well, um, what do you think you need to improve on? So many times, like when I'm watching, whether it's parents or coaches with children or just students in general, they don't require the student to assess themselves, that level of mindfulness, where were my legs, where were my hands, where, you know, was I sitting to the inside or the outside? They're so like, you need to do this, you need to do this, instead of putting the responsibility on the student Mm -hmm. and saying, what do you think you need to do differently? Because that incorporates that level of mindfulness. Right. That actually makes so much sense. Instead of just like someone telling you the things, it's like, well, what do you think? And what do you feel? And then I guess probably like watch a video after to really see if you're right or not. And if you were wrong, be like, okay, see like how big that missing gap is of like what you thought you felt and what actually happened. I do hear that a lot. People from, I guess, being from being nervous, they don't remember anything that happened in their run. And then so, and I can see how, with being the more in the present moment, you can take it stride by stride and actually be aware. And then you can answer those questions to yourself. Even if you don't have a coach or anybody, you're just your solo barrel racer, ask yourself what you actually felt and mm-hmm. move forward. Just don't stop trying. <laughs> exactly. And like, I remember when I was a little kid, just out of respect, I would never ask why, you know, my, my grandpa may say, well, you need to, you know, back your horse in the box this way or whatever. And I would never ask why as a form of respect, but now I am totally going to ask why, Mm -hmm. because as an adult, when I got into adulthood and I was training maybe some of my own horses, I was like, well, I remember my grandpa used to tell me to do this, but I don't know why he told me to do that. Like, I don't know the objective or the purpose of doing that exercise. Um, So I think it's really important to slow down in our practice sessions and to collaborate and talk to our kids, not just telling them what to do and not not kids, but students, I should say learners. Um, Because even as an adult, I love to learn. I take clinics today and it's really fun, but I, I learn more when the instructor is collaborating with me opposed to when they're telling me what to do and I don't understand, or I'm too scared to ask, okay, why are you telling me to do that? Um, Because maybe even they see it as a sign of disrespect. True. And I think that's like the biggest thing of, is to ask why and learn it for yourself. And I had a case where I was in the States working. And when I came home after working for all these trainers, I didn't know anything because I just did what they said. But then when I came into my own roadblock or my own issue, I was like, I don't even know what to fall back on because I don't even understand the reason behind why I was doing that. And it just spiraled down and it took a long time to overcome that and to be more comfortable with it. So I'm glad you brought that up. And it's just a, a, a way to learn. Like, and I think most people, if someone has an issue with you asking a question that maybe it's their own 
insecurity. Yeah, exactly. I've been to barrel racing clinics. I'm not a great barrel racer by any means, but I love learning. And I've been to barrel racing clinics with like Charmaine James. And she was so willing to slow down and collaborate with me and help me understand and show me the why. Mm -hmm. And then I've been to other clinics more recently where I didn't have that experience, unfortunately, where when I asked why they were almost threatened by that of me, like questioning their methodology. And I, I wasn't that I was really trying to learn of like, okay, if I run into this problem down the road on a different horse, why, why do, why would I implement this intervention? So to say, um, but yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly that if somebody gives you some type of negative feedback or backlash of you asking why, I think it speaks more to maybe an issue that they're having than your question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So people listening, if you've ever felt that way, don't be afraid to ask why anymore. Cause yeah, it's not, it's not a you problem at that point. And yeah, just always striving to learn. And I'm really happy and glad that we were able to get together to help teach some of these things that, so all of us learners can learn some new techniques and new things to understand ourselves better and just better ourselves in and out of the arena. I appreciate you so much joining me with this for everyone listening that wants to follow you on Instagram, which your Instagram is amazing. Cause it has literally the most smallest, simplest, easy to digest little tips and tricks of changing your language to yourself and just everything else. Like I just love it. So where can we find you uh, people that are interested in following you and also if they wanted to work with you? Yeah. So my Instagram is at Shelby Sipe. It's my name. Uh, Sipe is S-I-P as in pony E. So it's pretty simple. You can follow me and then that'll take you to my website, which is shelbysype.com to request an appointment or something like that. If you would want to work together in the future, Mm -hmm. Um, my biggest piece of advice to everyone is going to be stay curious. The antidote to judgment Mm -hmm. is curiosity. So stay curious with yourself and other people. I love it. Oh, great way to end this. Thank you so much, Shelby. Thank you.